0: JDF Amplified, building community through amplifying the voices and vision of innovative educational leaders, practitioners and learners from around South Africa. See ya, Namgera Namtlanja, Kwi Mkuboyetu, IJGF Amplified Jake's Khavel Fellowship's premier podcast. I am Mata Wotladi, and the intent of this here podcast is to build community through amplifying the voices and visions of innovative educational speakers, practitioners, and learners from South Africa. And as per usual, and lo, na, lo, with an expert In all matters concerning Quintal 1, 2 schools, but who am I to give introductions when the very person is in the room? Nangamso, Kanumashubi, Kunjan. Diapila
1: mdasekaya,
0: Unjanuena. Diapila enkoasi. Listen, culture to everyone who is listening here today. Who is Nangamso, Kanumashubi, Kuwapi, and what does she do?
1: Um. Thank you for having me. Ah, uh, nangamso I grew up in Sata, Dongwehu. Um, currently live between Ehu and Gomani. My background is in communications, but I serve in the education space. And people always ask, "So, how did you end up there?" I grew up influenced mm-hmm. by teachers. My grandparents, Utamkulu no Makulu, were school principals for four years. I mean, Utamkulu was only a teacher for three of the 45 years um, where he was employed by the Department of Education. So he was a school principal throughout. Um, you mention his name, where I come from, and you realize, you know, what a legend he was. Makulu as well, in his own right, Mama as well. Mama was a teacher um, for plus 35 years. So I come from a background of teachers. Um, you know, I'm a So so you grow up appreciating Imfundu and you see the role Imfundu can play in sort of um, developing communities. So when I was um, at the University of the Free State, I, I, through community projects, ended up being a leader for one, ended up serving in the school representative council for community engagement, ended up meeting Professor Jonathan Janssen and we worked on the University of the Free State School Support Program, where mm. basically everything was birthed, you know, adopting schools, working with schools, focusing on curriculum support, non-extracurricular support. Yeah. And to a point where one now is at a level where you're sort of able to consult, you know, lead projects that are mostly school-based, focusing on school whole school
0: development, and yeah, I, I love school. So whilst we're on the, the 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 speaking point of your career, you say that you are an educational strategist. Do tell us, what does this work entail? Look, for
1: me, um, it's all, I always say there's no bad school. You know, when people say, a mm. school, it's got a 6% pass rate, um, the kids are misbehaving, the teachers are not coming to work... For me, I always ask, what has the system done to enable that um, situation? There is no bad school, there are no bad teachers, there are no bad kids. So my work as a strategist is to sort of align what government has put down as policy together with what schools have put down as their vision and mission and sort of be the bridge between both stakeholders so that they can be able to find each other and all three of us then we figure out a way how to move forward. So we strategize on how to move forward and take that school to the next level. And it's worked mm-hmm. in the past because, I mean, we've, we've worked with schools where you arrive, they are sitting at, um, and unfortunately we focus a lot on the grade 12 um, results, but you'll find a school focusing, or rather a school achieving a 23% pass rate um, in the MIP. No, no, no school principal will tell you for free they do not want to be in the MIP. Um, And by the end of the year, Mm -hmm. within months, they're out of the MIP when the grade 12 results come out.
0: Explain to us what the MIP is. What is the MIP?
1: Look, the MIP is where you don't want to be. Those are schools that are achieving below 50%. And what usually happens is they all get called down to, in the case of the SNKPB, and you have all the provincial officials screaming down
0: at the poor principals, you know telling them this is what essentially they are called into the principal's office when you are in the MIP you are in the naughty corner essentially nobody
1: takes you seriously and anybody can say whatever they want to say to you and basically you are the boo-boo of the district nobody wants to be in the MIP yeah
0: all right thank you so very much um so namlanje Nangam, so we are going to speak about governance and management, the impact of governance and management, uh, within the quintile one and two bracket. So to contextualize for listeners who don't even know the who 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 don't know the language of this quintile um, um, um spectrum, the definition of a quintile is that this, it's, South African schools are grouped into five categories between quintile one and five, right? One being the poorest and five being the least poor. So this is basically a kind of poverty ranking, and these rankings are purposed to indicate which schools get government support in order for them to get, uh, for them to be functional? A and B to create equity between them and highly resourced schools. So the basis of this ranking is unemployment rate within that community and literacy rate within that community. So essentially, the school. Uh, is placed in a particular quintile as per how the community that the school is embedded in looks. So it's all about the reflection of the community and how it reflects on the school itself. So Nangamsa, I'm just quite curious, what are your thoughts around this measurement? What are your thoughts? Do you think this is an accurate way of even categorizing schools in South Africa?
1: Um... It works for us, right? Okay. Because what you don't want is children living in a community where it's the poorest of the poor, Mm. um, who don't have a choice, uh, who are not at liberty to make any choices about where their children should go to school, right? Mm. So they're forced to attend the nearest school. And... Mm. If this is a community where you've got a high unemployment rate um, and all the negative stats that that are attached to unemployment rate, right? You've got a, a high percentage of substance abuse, teenage pregnancy, so on and so forth. So those are vulnerable children who come from vulnerable homes who are in vulnerable communities. So what you want, you want an education system that is catered for them where one, they will not be required to pay school fees. They will not be required to purchase any teaching or learning materials. In fact, the parents are not going to be required to pay anything where everything is subsidized by government 100%. So I'm saying it works for us because you know that when you're dealing with the Quintal One school, even when you come in as a as an NGO or any other stakeholder, you know that you have to empty yourself into that school because by the virtue of it being classified as a quintal one school, that means that it's serving some of the poorest of the poor in, within our, our, our schooling communities.
0: All right, all right. So as an expert in matters concerning governance and management in quintal one and two schools, please just define for us um, who the stakeholders are when we speak about governance within the school uh, so the context? Schools
1: Act um, clearly stipulates um, who governs our schools, and that is the school governing body. So currently, our school governing bodies have got a three-year term. Um, so what happens is the the number of SGB members is determined by the number of learners within that particular school. However, you've got your you've got core members that will always be there, irrespective of the number of the learners. For instance, the principal, by the virtue of them being the accounting officer on behalf of the Department of Education in that school, they automatically serve on the SGB. SGB And then you've got parents whose children are learners in that particular school. So the number of the parents is determined by the number of the children. You'll find that in some schools, for instance, you've got five parents representing, you know, the parental body in the SGP. In some schools, you'll get three. In some schools, you'll get six. It's all dependent on the number of learners that are in that particular school. And then if your school is a high school, you will have two learners who are representing um, learners via their representative council for learners, RCL. So those are learners who are elected democratically by other learners to represent them. Um, And then you'll also have non-academic staff members who who will form part of the SGP. And these are usually, maybe if there's a clerk, a school who usually assists with your basic administration services. So they will form part of the SGB. So in some SGBs, what they usually do, beyond what is prescribed by the South African Schools Act on who should be on the SGB, they co-opt other community members to form part of the SGB. And these are usually community members who possess skills that the SGB might not have. For instance, okay. if an SGB knows that there is um, a chartered accountant you know amongst us who will be able to assist us in terms of you know setting up financial control systems, monitoring and evaluation, so a particular person like that could be co-opted into the SGB to assist. Um, with their certain skills and experience. However, they do not get to chair any of the subcommittees that are within the SGB. Yeah.
0: So, Nangam, so on that point, right, because the listeners on JGF Amplified range from our candidate fellows, all the way through to people who aren't even in the education sector but want to inform themselves and understand what it means to be a community member um, in the improvement of schools. So are you saying essentially that the SGB comprises of various stakeholders within the schools? And then judging by the composition of these individuals, people from the community then are, are they requested or do people just volunteer? How do we get that connection between school and community member? Do you, or do you become part of the SGB per invitation? So,
1: so our South African Schools Act is very strict on this. For elected parents to form part of the school governing bodies, they need to be parents of children who are learning in that particular school. So you have to be a parent or you have to be a legal guardian. For instance, you know, Singabandu, right? Who lives with five grandchildren and their daughter is somewhere in Cape Town or Johannesburg trying to find employment. And Umakuluma Mkoka is an elder who's not able to walk to school but she's got these five grandkids that are registered in that particular school. So what usually happens is that umam Kotwa can then, and if maybe umam kota has a neighbor, and Umampele is able to go to school. So there can be an arrangement where, because as Nyi kuti, we are not breaking the law, but we are ensuring that the law does not take away from Ubuntu Bay to Singabandu. So Umambele can go to the school, just walk this one time, or make an arrangement to travel to the school where it is documented on paper that she cannot be able to attend these meetings for these five kids. However, Bele, who also has two kids in this particular school, will be a representative. Exactly. So you've got situations like that. But however, strictly it is parents whose children are registered in that particular school who are representatives okay. of parents within the
0: SGB. So, Goba, you, you mentioned something quite interesting when you say that if a person within the community possesses a skill set that the, that the SGB doesn't have, for instance, Mr. Um, Mr. Mayers is an accountant... We get Mr. Mayers to be part of, 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 of the governing body. My question then is, what are the base skill sets that a functioning SGB ought to have? Or is there a base, um, or do we just take as we go along? Look,
1: I've seen, I've seen a lot I mean, I've witnessed and been part of lots of parents meetings where SGB elections um, are taking place. As an observer and I've seen parents being intentional about ensuring that they elect people who possess the necessary skills that are needed Mm -hmm. to take the school forward so I think it might not have been the case before but in the last 10 years at least schools have been very intentional about ensuring that their schools are governed effectively There's a huge attempt, especially from the Quintal 1 and 2 schools that I've been very fortunate to serve with. So, for instance, sorry, any SGB SGB member will tell you they know that Mm. there has to be effective finance management within the SGB. They know that their role is to govern, meaning you must be able to formulate, articulate, Uh, adapt and, and implement particular policies that will create an enabling environment for teachers to execute their job. The teacher's job is to get to school and teach. So the SGB's job is to ensure that they've put systems in place to ensure governance occurs because when governance occurs effectively, school management occurs effectively.
0: Mm, mm, mm. so essentially the governing body is a composition of the need of that specific school so there is no blanket uh rule or policy that says you need x and y skills um, in the room the room determines what skills need to be in the space essentially is what she's saying
1: look there is no prescription according to our schools act that says you must be you know, talkative, you must be a good writer, you know, you must be an orator, you must, you know, be like President Becky, and, 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 and. However, <laughs> however, it clearly states what the functions of the SGBs are, which is to govern effectively, adopt the, um these policies so that the school is managed effectively, to assist with finance management, you know it's fundraising or setting up finance management systems that alone those functions that are clearly stipulated in our south african schools act inform the schooling communities of the caliber of people or parents rather that ought to be elected into the school governing party because what usually happens and i've seen happening Principals are very, very intentional about ensuring that parents understand the caliber of parents that are needed to serve in the school governing body. Yeah. So people know, yeah. so whether or not people who, who are of the caliber that is needed as prescribed in the schools act are elected or not, but people are aware. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. when the functions are read and you are like uh but you still continue and you insist where you are willing and you are able, then that's on you. You
0: know? That's on you. Because all right, all right, so the so there's no yeah, so we get the fact that like the functions are clear, but we can then elect people who speak to the functions and the roles and the responsibilities, right? We have a question from our candidate fellow, uh, Luna Salai. Uti, how can cooperative governance be strengthened in Quintal 1 or 2 schools, given that the school itself has infrastructural issues? So how, do, how does an SGB function in a space where sometimes we even find Dobanapa while the very infrastructure of the school does not necessarily even accommodate for that kind of school to community communication, right? Um there's even issues between the, the, the staff room there's even issues between governance amongst learners. How does equintel one and two context address Lando? So so One of the committees that
1: school governing bodies must um, establish is an infrastructure management committee. That committee is crucial to have in the SGB and it's driven by parents because one, it takes away the pressure from the teachers to be worrying about the infrastructure instead of dealing with the core business. But we know that Mm core business cannot be presented um, to the best of the teacher's abilities if there is no classroom to teach from. So what happens then and what I always suggest to SGBs is that always ensure you've got a comprehensive school profile that documents in detail every single thing that is happening in your school. So, this document must be able to inform whoever it is being presented to, be it it's an EDO or second manager or members, uh, I mean, uh, provincial representatives. But you must have a school profile that clearly demonstrates how teaching, and learning happens in that school. If the school does not have windows or it doesn't have ablution rooms, there is absolutely no reason for parents to fold their hands and wait for government to do something about it. What I've seen, though, is once parents are informed of how they can engage government, I've seen parents formulate these school profiles and I've seen them bringing um, the education department officials to their schools to show them the conditions that their children are subjected to learning under. And I've seen the department officials themselves as well shocked at, no, at some of these conditions because they were not they were not aware. And I've seen movement. I've seen movements where government is trying their level best to be to provide the necessary infrastructure where, I mean, that is requested by schools. But most importantly, I've seen parents use their voice to sort of make calls to the private sector within those communities. And alumni from those schools to say, look, this is our school. If we are a quintal one school and we only have 50,000 rands for infrastructure for argument's sake from the department, that will only cover windows so that you know at least in winter we don't freeze. However we don't have ablution rooms. We don't have you know a staff room for our teachers. So what happens in situations like that that is where now the parents must be able to stand up for their school. You go to the department and you make certain demands you go to the private sector you invite them over for partnerships. You bring in your community so that you are able to own that school. Mr. John Samuels um, the first DDG and a Minister uh, Professor Bengu, and a mentor of mine, said to me when when he was basically telling me what what the meaning of the public school is. He said, "We were intentional in calling our schools public schools because we wanted communities to understand that those schools do not belong to the teachers; they don't belong to the learners." They belong to the communities. So I, as Unangamso, as a community member, for instance, when I drive past Equakomani Comprehensive High School, and I see that there are broken windows, Equakomani, there is nothing stopping Unangamso from driving into the school to say to the school principal, I don't know what plans you have around fixing the windows, for instance. If the case is Kwakomani, but I doubt. <laughs> but here is my hundred Rand or 50 Rand. And this is to assist you and your school in ensuring
0: that our children are not frozen in winter. So, when you say that Iskolo is a public school, effectively you're calling it a public entity. And then that means so, so so, um, within the community, then has every right to say, listen, this. Because if we're going to say that a quintile is based on the reflection of the community, then community members can definitely say this school is not a reflection of our intention for our children. So it's not our intention for our children not to have ifestire. It's not our intention for our children not to have desks um, to work on. So... With that said, there seems to be, though, this expectation. So help us sober us as the public when it comes to our expectations of government um, in relation to the development, the sustenance and the progress of schools. Because someone may be seeing a window that's cracked at and I'm saying Kwakomani, my brother and my sister graduated from Kwakomani. We love that school so much. Um, it's all love because we all, we know that it's a very functioning school. It's it's a it's a proper school. Um, but if I do see, my first uh, impression would be, well, the Minister of Education is not doing enough. Sober us in terms of where government starts and ends and where agency from the community begins, or if there's a constant harmony and intersection between the actions of the community and the actions of Uhulu We just need to see how this role-playing works in the context of schools.
1: Look, there is no harmony between communities and schools. What I've seen happening is, which is why in most communities, you will find the same parents are rotating as SGB members from one school to the next. You don't, You go to this school and you're like, but I've seen Utata before. And they're like, no, I was an SGB in that particular school. So you'll find that in a, because there's a three-year term, you'll find that in two terms, you've been working with the same people, just changing schools. So, what usually happens is that once parents are elected to form part of the SGB, it's, it's as if by like, SGBs to be on their own. And parents and parents, at most times, do not even attend the parents meetings. And you will find now SGB members struggling on their own to govern the school. School governance, it's a lot. It requires a lot of time. It requires a lot of resources. Why am I saying this? So when they get elected into the SGB, they go through trainings, be it it's from the department, or be it it's from external stakeholders like us or other NGOs. So they go through intense training, right? So they are capacitated with um, the knowledge of how an SGB functions, their roles and responsibilities, and excitement kicks in. And then they formulate these committees, um, fundraising, uh, finance, disciplinary committee, infrastructure, and so on and so forth, as per the school needs. What you find in most cases is the very same parents who are at times unemployed end up spending a lot of time in schools because they are attending these committee meetings. A committee meeting for this, a committee meeting for that, SGP meeting here. Yeah. Once a term they have to report to the parents in a parents' meeting. And by the time they finish their term, they are so exhausted, they want none of it. Yeah. Absolutely none of it. They are tired, they don't want to know anything, they just they don't want to deal.
0: So that's the reality. So are you saying that, Nangam, so the effectiveness of the SGB is dependent on the participation of parents? Definitely. Most definitely. Because what you, what you need
1: for the SGB to be effective is for the parents to be backing the SGB everywhere they go. For instance, mm. and it's not just about attending um, parents' meetings, right, which happen once a time. It's also about showing up when parents are called in, if maybe there's a particular incident that involved a learner and the parent must come in, or if there's a particular program that's been adopted by a school. For instance, if if um, the teachers through the school management team adopt um, a, an extended curriculum program by introducing maybe uh, um Saturday classes, you know, it's the parent's responsibility to ensure that that is supported by making sure that their children attend those classes. Because if they don't, it's all going to fall back on the SGB in terms of what is the disciplinary committee doing or saying. So you're not going to find an effective SGB if you don't have an engaged parental element to it. Because otherwise, the SGB members are going to be on their own they're going to be adopting policies that are not imp- being implemented by the parental
0: element of the stakeholders. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to ask this question though, right? Um, so you are speaking about the strengthening of uh, community to school. And now let's speak about community to government, right? So our expectations of government versus the expectations that we have of ourselves as community members. Give us an example, Nangamso, of what is a realistic expectation to have, and give us a realistic expectation of what we should be expecting of ourselves as community members in relation to the schools that are in our uh, vicinity. Look, government is supposed to
1: ensure that our children get quali- free quality education, right? Mm. That means that when a child gets to school, there must be a teacher in front of them. And this teacher must be capacitated, supported, and well-resourced. This school must Mm. be well-resourced. This school must be safe. And this school must have adequate teaching and learning materials. That's what we expect from government. That's what our South African schools act Guarantees us, and so is our constitution, that our children have got a right to free, quality education. So, we don't expect situations where our children are attending schools that don't have safe ablution rooms. It is unconstitutional that some of our schools don't have teachers standing in front of our learners, that there are no textbooks that our kids are walking for kilometers to get to schools. That is unconstitutional. So what is currently happening? Schools, there is something that we call a paper budget. Um, Teachers will be very familiar with this. So schools receive probably 10% of what we believe they should be getting. And this is based on the number of learners that they have. So you've got a chunk of money that is meant to come to schools and for schools to utilize, to pay for their levies, so on and so forth. But it is redirected to municipalities. It will be interesting to find out though whether it actually gets to the municipalities, because I do not believe it does. LTSM, that is learning and teaching material, it's centralized, meaning provincially, the provincial governments um, source the material and it gets delivered to schools. So what schools manage in terms of finances is what is covered in their paper budget, which is a drop in the ocean, my sister. I've seen schools, to ensure that at least there's a chalk, you know, there's polish, there are brooms, so that the classes are clean. And now this is separate from the nutrition budget that they get from government that is also um, provided to school as per the number of learners. But it also, it is, it
0: is never the actual amount. But as you're speaking, Nangamso, you speak, though, of a point, a reality of Quintal 1 and 2, the reality that almost personifies our understanding of the Quintal 1 and 2 experience, right? Which is that it's usually a teacher that stands up and says, no more. We need to um, build forces within ourselves to do the work that needs to be done. And when I'm think, as I'm speaking about that, I'm thinking of a principal um, right? A principal a Solomon Mashango High School, Etinacha, if I'm if I'm correct, who's highlighted by Accountability Lab. Um, but teachers who within so the kind of labour required of teachers in quintal 1 and 2 contexts um, to make schools survive, right? Um, Community members to make that particular school survive. And listening, Nangamso, our candidate fellows from JGF who want to be impactful, innovative teachers who are... Who are grounded in an entrepreneurial spirit um, to empower their learners in their classrooms. And they get to context quintal uh, 1 and 2, where maybe a governing body Like what she's saying, we're just doing it for the sake of. What sort of advice do you have for practitioners who want to walk into these spaces? to sort of even reimagine the space um, in order to build it the way in which schools should be built in South Africa? Look, um, bright sparks are needed everywhere.
1: Mm. And what I've seen, it already at most times, it takes one person just bringing in that new energy. Because, you know, at most times, We make the assumption that um, they're just there in those schools, um, teaching in those broken windows, so on and so forth. But we fail to remember that they are exhausted. They are tired. They too had that bright spark. And they too wanted to do things. I mean, we're talking about people who use their own personal funds at times you know, to keep the school running. I've seen this. My mother was a teacher. She's a retired teacher. So teachers empty themselves into ensuring that their schools function somehow effectively, regardless of the poor or lack of resources that they don't have. So for their sparing fellows, brilliant fellows that you work with, my advice would be step into a school and breathe the light. Find out from them The teachers who have been at the school, what is it that they have tried their level best to do and maybe could not succeed? And what hindered, you know, that journey so that they can bring in support to ensure that whatever it is that hindered that journey is sort of removed and that the school is able to achieve that particular goal because it's also something else to come into a space and pretend as if was, as the, I know teachers they'll just look at you and you will be talking on your own but if you approach them in a dignified way that does not gaslight them you know, when they share the pain and all that they've been through and instead you serve as a supporting system for them then then, then there will be change I mean, oh, I've seen I've worked in schools now where Where you walk in on the floor. You know, there are holes on the ground. There is not a single. This is a foundation phase class. There's not a single drawing on the wall. There's absolutely nothing. The schools have no resources. There's nothing. But give it eight months. The classes are magic classrooms. Things are fixed. Teachers arrive 30 to an hour. Um, earlier mm-hmm. to get to class because Umdu wants to prepare their lesson you know, you drive past this school, if you're from another school an hour later, after the school has come out they are still at the school printing out lesson plans for the following day so at times, we are quick to judge teachers especially in these rural schools these Quintal One schools and we sort of paint them as the the destroyers of dreams of our children because they are lazy mm. Yet we don't even have a clue of what they go through every single day. Imagine you are in a school where it caters for grades R to 7. And there's only five teachers. And from the, between the intermediate and the senior phase, you've got in each grade at least six to eight subjects that must be taught. There's five of you for grades R to 7. How are you going to be able to provide quality teaching? How? Yet when the results come out, we are quick to blame the teachers. So you're speaking about communities. What does a community then do in a situation where um, there are five teachers, right? And no effective teaching can happen there. So a community must communicate with the department and say that the current PPN policy does not work. So how the policy works is that schools are provided with teachers as per the number of learners, not as per the number of learning areas. So if this particular school has grades one to seven, And in the intercent phase, you've got subjects ranging between six and eight. Our current policy does not say, because I've got eight subjects or six subjects in a particular grade, therefore I must have at least six teachers for that particular grade. They don't do that. The policy currently says, count how many numbers are in that school. And then you provide that school with the numbers as per the learners. So if it's 55
0: learners in that particular school, you're going to have four teachers. So wait, Nanga, I'm so I'm also quite curious, right? Because the aspirations of teachers when it comes to being in the classroom, right? They need to think about being in environments where they feel safe, they feel, and by safe, I mean, even psychologically, that kind of support, right? Um, especially when we think of Quintal 1 and 2, uh, context where there is, Unspoken labor that goes towards developing the kinds of excellence that is required. Yeah. So, do you think there'll be a time in this country where we measure a school by the excellence that it produces? Right. So, what do I mean by that? When we look at case study, when we look at Ipisho, high, when we look at those schools, right. We we see schools that have that that have produced incredible marks um, in 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 matric, but the environment that they are in doesn't necessarily show. Uh, it's not necessarily an environment of people who are employed, or who are, of people who are literate. But the hopes and the dreams of the community is reflected in the excellence of the school. And I ask this question because when the branding of Quintal 1 and 2 is the issue here. Because when we think of Quintal 1 and 2 schools, we impose that definition onto the children, the capacity of the children to perform, the capacity of the school to perform. Do you think there's a way of measuring the excellence of a school outside of inferring the poverty of the community onto it? If at all I'm making sense. Definitely. I think...
1: Generally, um, the understanding of how Quintal One schools are grouped, there hasn't been a negative um, sort of um, connotation around it. And I pick this up because I work with Quintal One schools. So their understanding is that um, being called a Quintal One school. Does not necessarily define your intellectual abilities. If anything, it is to ensure that um, government provides the most for you because you are this school that is in a developing community and that lacks the most basic resources and that needs the most assistance. So, generally, that is how um, the labeling if we may put it like that, of Quintal One schools is understood in, within the Quintal One schools community. And okay. the, I mean, I'm a product of a Quintal One school myself. And it was one of the best performing schools if you we high school, um, you know, back in the days. It's, it's a different story today. And those schools, as you would know, because we come from these communities, they have the most basic resources, but oh boy, do they produce the best results ever. I mean, you, 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 I still remember um, a senior of mine, Ulubabalo Chacheeka, who is now a mechanical engineer. Ulubabalo does, he did not bring a 99% for pure math then higher grade, you know, um, and, and for physics as well. And they had to imagine all these chemical reactions because our school didn't have a functioning science lab. But still, somebody, you know... And this is not to say, because we celebrate giants like Olbabalo Chachieka, we are sort of in denial about the damage that is caused on, on, on our intellectual, you know, capabilities because there are no resources in place to enable us to perform, you know, to the best of our abilities yeah. because government has not provided what's due to us. Um, so I guess somebody said and something interesting, a colleague, and said, you know, attending Quintal One schools is traumatic. But we are so used to trauma as black kids, as black people, that we we take the very little that we think is the best and we become okay with it And we sort of try and find a way of moving on without causing any much trouble. That resonated with me because it is the only thing that can explain to me how even the school governing bodies that are fully much aware of what government should be doing or providing rather for their schools um, and government is not, but yet you are not going to get the type of engagement from parents to,
0: to, to government that you would think should be happening I want to ask, do you think that because we can go on to this rigmarole about how government is not doing what they 're supposed to do. We understand the state that we live in it the dilapidation of of institutions in South Africa um is just unprecedented at this point. And to sit and dwell, um, of course, we need to acknowledge, but we also need to find strategies of surviving the now because that's where we are, right? Do you think that a school in South Africa within the Quintal 1 and 2 space can perform excellently with internal mechanisms that are strengthened. So if Tina, CC, C C E CC, Bisho Hai, if our school governing body is functional, if our RCLs are functional, if all these things pertaining to it Bisho Hai are functional, can we still soldier on and and CC amangam and create and make and and, and produce marks that are and un, unseen? with the minimal participation investment from government as we are currently seeing now.
1: Oh yes, definitely. Um a beautiful case study. Um a, a school called Egu Pumlen High School. Um a school that's in Chrisana West. Uh when we were growing up, that school was called Iyizo, Iyizo. Um totally dysfunctional. Um per Parents did not want to send their kids to that school. Up until um, Umis Dengalo, may his soul rest in peace, COVID stole Mr. Ngalo away from us. Up until Umis Dengalo, by far one of my favorite principals I've ever had the privilege of serving with, arrived at that school. So here's a school that had fewer learners, fewer teachers, no resources at all. And the first thing Mr. Ngalo did was to change school culture. Because you have to start there as a principal. School culture. Mm. What is the culture of this school? Singobani. And for one term, he introduced the meaning of punctuality. What does it mean to be on time for the parent, for the teacher, for the meal server? Because he always said... If we show up at the time where we are supposed to show up and do what we are supposed to do to or for the people we are supposed to do it for or to, at the end of the day, we're going to achieve what we want to achieve. Today, let me tell you today, that school is one of the prides of the Eastern Cape Department of Education. They had no resources. And together, by just focusing on time, time management, and when the results, when the kids started producing the results, obviously parents see change and then they want to bring in their learners. Then their numbers started increasing and then they get more teachers. I don't know how many extra classrooms they've had to build. As early as as a result of this, as early as February, you'll get that school sitting with thousands of applications from parents as far as you wanting to take their children to A because this school, that was totally nothing and had nothing. One man, one school principal arrived with a vision and introduced a new school culture that was adopted by the parents, was adopted by the, um, the principals, And I always laugh and say, we must not say it was adopted by the learners. It was imposed on the poor learners. But they rolled with it. Mm. The pride we have as the people of Edongwe, of that school. You see Umda and Awasegpumleeni dressed in their school uniform. You cannot help but roll your window down and you want to greet them and ask them what their name, what grade are they doing and you wish them all the best. Because that school... In the midst of the poverty that we have at Dongwe, that school continues to put our name on the map. Currently, uh, one of their alumni students and one of our, our alumni in sizwe Fellowship is reading for his master's in mechatronics in the United Kingdom. Uh, 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 that is Pumle High School. May Mr. Ngalo's soul continue to rest in peace so i hope this answers your question i hope this answers your question It really does. there's it also really does, nangamso. there's also another leader i want to mention here he is he's crazy and i hope you can have him um you can chat with him sometime uh, he's he's a, he's a mad man he loves kids he loves school he's to one school within a space of six months into one of the best performing schools in Amatole East District. That is Mr. Buching. He sings all the time. You'll find him singing everywhere. Where he is and he's a school principal, kids sing. There is a way in which he uses our culture, our indigenous knowledge systems, to introduce a culture of excellence within schooling communities. So when people ask me these things, I say, I as Unagam, so I can be able to share them with you because I've seen them happening in schools. But go to those schools. I will take you to those schools where I have seen principals who arrived in schools where you could not even call it a school. And you see these people engaging their colleagues on structural change and how to run a school as a center of academic excellence. And how that influences how these villages or locations are run. Those
0: schools are here in the Eastern Cape. Come, I'll take you there. Chonga, 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 don't, don't tempt us. So, in so Zatins in a podcast corner have a live podcast in the. Um, but now, so I want you to answer this question. We have a question from. Lucille cause she is not a candidate fellow from JGF. She works for an organization called Earth Child uh, Project from uh, the Western Cape in Cape Town. Um, what are realistic timeframes for leadership to have in mind when changing the school culture? Because Principal Ngalo came in and changed the institutional culture of a school. What are realistic timeframes? Just for someone to just get a sense, it's going to be two weeks and everything is done within two weeks.
1: You need the first term to, as a school principal, to get to know your people. So informally and informally. So you need a, you need a term at least to get to know them. And within that term, um, you need to at least warn them over. On the idea. You need to win them over on the idea of what this institution should look like and what, what should inform part of your school culture. So gradually you warm them into it. So you take part of what is institutional knowledge or culture, theirs, and you infuse a bit of what you are bringing in because remember you don't want it to be like they were doing nothing and you are here superman bringing all the change no no you must be very strategic otherwise you'll be pushing on your own so you need to incorporate a lot of who they were and a lot of what you are bringing in so that it can be a collective so they don't must not view it as your change as principal. it must be a collective strategy that is introduced and to the teachers where you need your buy-in so when you arrive as, as any leader in any um, institution, you'll always have your low-hanging fruits, things that are quick for you to win, right? So you tackle those to win people over as well, to prove you can do these things, you know? And then when you integrate um, and form this uh, collaborative strategy that you'll implement together as a team, that is when now you start implementing your long-term goals, for instance, when we look at the case, Mr. Ngalo, his long-term goal was to turn that school into a top science school, which they are. But what he needed to do first was to control time management. So what he did was to work on a new timetable so that everybody buys into this new timetable. So everybody is aware of where they must be and at what time. Most importantly, what is it that they must be doing there? Those three things at Pumlin. And you will walk around the school and those are the three questions they, each stakeholder, stakeholders will be asking themselves. You know, the teachers will walk past the children and ask them what time it is. Um, where should you be? What should you be doing there? And then automatically the learner will remember, oh, I should not be here. Let me go to where I am supposed to be. Yeah. So that I get there on time and do what I am. Just three questions. Three questions. And within a term, it would be like the biggest boo-boo if you were a stakeholder and you were late at Ekupumle and you will get locked out and the entire community would know you were out. And you would get marked on the books. Your school report would detail how many times you were late or absent at school. And to a point where Even children who were in primary schools wanted to go to Ekpumlen, but they knew the best of the best gets accepted Ekpumlen. So you needed to do something. Excel in sports, extramural activities, excel academically, do do something. So that when you come for an interview at Ekpumlen and they ask you, why should we welcome you into our glorious school? Then you say, but I'm going to... Contribute one, two, three, four, five. So, yes, to answer your question, yes, a term at least. One of the proudest moments ever had with the team was we worked with school in Amatole East. There's a particular high school when we arrived, they had not had a school principal for four years. And their pass rate was 23%. So, within three months, coming late was a taboo. Because what we had inculcated as part of school culture was you must be where you're supposed to be at the time, where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to do. By the end of the year, that school was out of the MIP.
0: Out of the boo-boo corner. And that's what we want. We want schools to get out the boo-boo corner. That's, what we, that's why we do the work that we do at JGF. Because as you had said, there is no such thing as a bad learner there is no such thing as a bad school. And there's most certainly not a bad, there's no such a thing as a bad teacher. What you've come to tell us when nangamso is that all you need to do is breathe life. And how do you breathe life? By listening to the stories and the lived experiences of your colleagues in the staff room. Now, if you at all missed what this conversation was about, A, we spoke about what, the SGB is. What is actual actual governance? We're not speaking about a thing here that doesn't have structures. There are structures in place. We talked about what um, the functions of those uh, uh, structures are. We spoke about how schools are transformed by individuals with conviction and a vision and we on top of that had a score of, of, of examples of individuals who have come into a space and said, you know what, this is my low-hanging fruit. And I'm saying, based on the incredible wisdom that Unangamso has come to share with us, I ask you the JGF candidate fellow I ask you the community member and I ask you the the individual who is also part of this circle of educators this professional circle of excellence what is your low hanging fruit for 2022 how are you affecting change and you can tell us all about this on our social media pages on Facebook we are Jake's Havel fellowship LinkedIn, Jake's Haval Fellowship. YouTube as well, Jake's Haval Fellowship. On Twitter, we are at JG Fellowship. And on Instagram, it is Jake's underscore Haval underscore Fellowship. Anytime you hear me get these social media handles wrong, just know that my producer Utuli is not with me. But because Utuli is here today, I will get them right. All right? Nangam, um, so Amaz, we are to all our listeners. Someone is asking, yeah, madam, nangam, so. I hear you, you're speaking to teachers and viva to the teachers. I'm just a person who wants to contribute. I'm a community member. I'm not a parent, but I want to affect change. Please give me advice as to how to go about this.
1: Drive into a school, walk into a school, knock at the principal's office and ask them, What can I do to help you? Ask them that. What can I do to help you? Because they are alone. They are alone. You'll find that at times they don't even need money. Maybe they need somebody to come and motivate their learners. Somebody who's going to say, I come from this school, from this background. I I I made it, guys. Today I am standing tall. Reach out to your former schools, guys. Farmers, Lali, Reach out to your schools establish alumni associations support mentor a child you know offer yourself because at most of the times all these children need is somebody on the other side to say hey hang in there i was there now and i made it it wasn't easy but i made it so reach out to a school reach
0: out and go So that is the word of advice. So is giving to you, community member. But because we are affecting change more in particular, we want to transform schools in Quintal One and Two uh, uh, context. So a word to our candidate fellows who may be feeling overwhelmed um, at the journey ahead. How are you? How are your words empowering them today? What are your words of wisdom to them?
1: Firstly, I am just so proud of them um for the journey that they've traveled to get here so proud of them and just so excited for them to be in this space and that there's this there's this thing we have those of us who serve in the education space city education in a bug it has that bug and once that bug catches you it's over for you so always ensure that that bug is okay and even at times you know we also get those times where Things don't work out, Um, you know, programs don't run smoothly as you would wish. You go to sleep crying, you go to sleep upset. But because that bug is there and that bug knows it needs us to get up and serve. Because Gukumta ne who depends on me showing up. Nature that bug. And with time, things started, they start making sense. Personally, when I see my children reading for master's programs abroad and, and, and I remember that these are kids I met in grade seven and eight and now, you know, if I had known then what I know now, what this feeling would be like, I wouldn't have never complained. I would have never complained about the tears I cried. I would have never complained because now I see it was worth it. And we have not even started serving. So go out there, keep that burger that bag alive, and it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Thank you so much.
0: Who are you on social media? How do people get in contact with you?
1: On Twitter, I am at Kanoma Shlubi. On Instagram, I am at Kanoma Shlubi. I'm taking a break from the other ones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's good to detox. It's good to I'm detox. Detoxing. Thank you so much for Thank your time. You. Thank you for your wisdom. I feel recharged. I feel so motivated. Um, you have yourself a lovely, lovely 2022
1: and come to the Eastern Cape guys come to the Eastern Cape and let's work together
0: let's work together bye guys bye